0: you're listening to the king's church dc podcast king's church is located in the heart of washington dc and exists to make jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion purposeful living and community reconciliation we hope you enjoy the following sermon well we are officially in full football season mode. Uh, Today, uh, later today, I'm actually heading up to New York City and meeting my dad for his 70th birthday to see the Buffalo Bills take on the New Jersey Jets. One team in New York, Buffalo. Uh, And I'm quite excited about that to, to kick off Monday night tomorrow. But football season, full football season is in full swing. Now with the coming of football season also comes Another tradition. Another tradition comes roaring back as well. And that tradition, as you see up on the screen, is fantasy football. Fantasy football. Lots of us are in these leagues. Please don't check your leagues to make sure your roster is okay till after the service. Well, many of, these, many of us are in these leagues. Now, uh, maybe I didn't know this years ago, but, but over the last few years, I've found out that certain leagues people play in are getting way more intense certain leagues that people play in are getting way more intense it used to be you just play for fun or you play for a little money and i guess some some people still do that But there's a trend going on i guess where in certain leagues the biggest loser in the league has a punishment that they have to do so i'm not going to go into this this morning i've heard some crazy Crazy, crazy thoughts, but no one ever invites me to these types of leagues. <laughs> Every year I get invited to, to leagues, the, the, the guys, some of the guys in the group will always tell me, hey, this league is my fun league, or, or uh, this, this, this one's not my serious league, which is always a little bit demoralizing because I'm, I'm trying my hardest to win. <laughs> Anyways, last year I, I won in my, my non-punitive league, and I gotta say, I just gotta say it, I started by drafting a quarterback I started by drafting a quarterback Josh Allen Buffalo Bills and uh, I just got to say it again this morning I did it again this year (laughs) twice (laughs) now now typically that's that is a no-no in fantasy football you're not supposed to do that you're supposed to draft running backs and wide receivers they go quick and they rack up a lot of points But I draft Josh Allen and I hope that my mid-level running backs my mid-level wide receivers will will hopefully break through so we'll see we'll see now why am I mentioning all of this why am I mentioning all of this well fantasy football has become quite popular for a lot of reasons but one of the factors that it's become popular is because it puts you in the driver's seat of putting together a winning team it lets you test your knowledge and assemble a team where you look at the bye weeks you look at the upsides, you look at the downsides, and you you have to see how they all work together to get the win. You have to look at each person. You have to read up on each person. You have to know when they're playing. You have to know when they're playing each other. You have to know their potential and how they're all going to work together. Now, in the same way I mention all this this morning, because in our passage we're going to see a very similar idea except God himself is in the driver's seat, and he's putting together a winning team, except it's not fantasy football, but it's a team to redeem the world, a team to heal this world, a team to show off his glory to this world. Now, of course, this team has a name. The team's called The Church, and sometimes this team looks quite unimpressive. Sometimes the draft picks don't make sense. After all, I am up here preaching. Sometimes he picks a kicker first and a running back second. But this morning, we're reminded that God is God. He has all the knowledge. He has all the wisdom. He knows our bye weeks. He knows our upsides. He knows our downsides. And by the power of the Spirit and the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, he's putting together a team that's going to get the win. A team that, even as Jesus himself says, the gates of hell will not prevail against. This morning, God is building his church. He's in the driver's seat. And he's invited each and every one of us into the story, into his story of redeeming this world, of fixing this world, of impacting this world for his namesake. That's really the main idea of this sermon. It's already up on the screen. It's really the main idea of this text that we'll look at this morning, and it's this. God is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. My outline is also going to be up on the screen. It's going to be two points that are going to flow from this passage Two points that are going to flow from this passage, and then a very practical application point briefly at the end that hopefully will help us to think a little bit more about our role in the body of Christ. Number one, see ourselves rightly. Number two, use your gifts faithfully. Number three, discover your gifts wisely. That's where we're going today. Just seven verses, but a whole lot here. Now, let's dive in. If you've maybe missed the the last couple weeks, or perhaps this is your first time here, we made it last week to Romans chapter 12. Now, sometimes this chapter is called the hinge chapter, not the the dating app, but the the bridge chapter, the, the pivot point for the entire book. The first 11 chapters in Romans tells us all that God has done for us in the gospel, And now in these next few chapters, we're going to see all that God has called us to do because of the gospel. The first half of Romans, said another way, is all that God has done for you, salvation. But in these latter parts of Romans, it's about all that needs to be done by you, living a life for him. Chapter 12 opens up saying, Therefore, in light of all that Jesus has done for you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but let your mind be renewed. So in a nutshell, the Christian life is a life of surrender. Surrender to God, meaning we're laying everything at his feet. The response to his great grace in our lives, his redemption in our lives, his raising us up to life is that we lay everything at his feet. We lay our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our rights, and we're trusting him day by day as he renews our minds. Now, the passage continues this morning, and we're going to see more practically what does that actually look like. What does it look like to be a living sacrifice? What does it look like to be renewed in your mind day by day? And this really leads us to our first point, this morning, see yourself rightly. Verse 3 For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the first thing we see of what it looks like to be a living sacrifice, the first thing of what we see of what it looks like to have a renewed mind is that we see ourselves rightly. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to have an honest self-evaluation of ourselves, where we're not too impressed by ourselves, where we're not in too much awe of what we bring to the table, where we're not too puffed up by ourselves and our talents. But instead, as a believer, we, we see ourselves as part of something bigger than ourselves. We see ourselves as members of his body. We see ourselves first as members of his team, his church, together, low draft picks, raised by the grace of God. And on that team, in that church, we see that we're not in competition with one another. We see that God has made many different roles. He's assigned us to many different callings, many different gifts. We all don't have the same function, verse 4, but we are one. We have a unity this morning that comes from a common center, a common salvation, a common Savior. So that's what this first section is getting at seeing ourselves rightly, and seeing ourselves rightly happens when we see who we are as a member of the body of Christ. Now notice particularly how this passage rolls this out. Verse 3 says, don't think of yourselves too highly, but think of yourselves with sober judgment, that is an honest evaluation, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to not think of ourselves too highly, but instead to think of ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned? Well, some would say that this phrase is referring to the the amount of faith that you have. So they would read it like, uh, don't think of yourself too highly, but instead judge yourself according to the amount of faith you have. They would say it has to do with the intensity of your faith, the quantity of your faith. The idea there is that some people have 50 pounds of faith, some people have 100 pounds of faith, some people have 250 pounds of faith, so the meaning then would be see your real value, self-assess by the intensity of your individual faith. Right? They would say it's the, the, the quantity of your individual faith. But that's actually not what's being said here. That doesn't actually fit the the context. The context here is the body of Christ, the church, humility. The phrase, the measure of faith that God has assigned, has to do with something like allotment. It has to do with something like the distribution of faith. It's getting at the reality that as a Christian, God has given each and every one of us spiritual capacities, each different gifts different callings, different roles to play in his church, which means that each of our faiths are unique this morning. Yes, there is a common center in Jesus. Yes, it's focused on Jesus this morning, but each of us, the faith we have received is slightly different in flavor and shape to our neighbor. Think of it like this, two two illustrations. Two illustrations. The first is a very overplayed board game, The Settlers of Catan. Very overplayed. In the game, there's these little tile pieces if you've played it. And together they they form up all the land. Some are clay tiles, some are forest tiles, some are grain tiles, some are ore tiles, some are forest, and so on and so on and so on. They're each little pieces of of land. They each are different little allotments. What's being said here is that God, He's taken the, the different tiles and He's distributed them. He's allotted to, to, to us as believers, each little tiles. Some of you may be, be nice little farmland this morning, some of you might be clay mines this morning, some of you might be giant ore mines this morning, and so on and so on. The point is, when you self-assess, what he's saying here, when you self-evaluate, look at your own lane, how you're doing with your own gifts, how you're doing with your own calling, how you're doing with you, the role that God has assigned, not comparing yourself To others. That's the first illustration. The second illustration, probably the the better illustration, is actually the illustration that's given in this passage. (laughs) It helps really bring it all together. I've referred to it already, but it says that as the church, we're like parts of the body. We're each different parts, but we form one body. Verse 3, don't think too high of yourselves, but think of yourselves with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The point is, to see yourself rightly as a believer means you realize you're part of something bigger than yourself. We're not in competition, but rather we're members of his body. We're members of his team. We're interconnected. It's unity in diversity. Our gifts, our calling, our roles working together for the common good, for the glory of God. Now, what all that means this morning, the big big picture there on this first point this morning, is that if you're falling into the trap this morning of comparing yourself to someone else based on your salary or your beauty or your knowledge, or your skills, or your life stage, or whatever, not only is that futile, not only will that possibly lead you to be puffed up or depressed, but it's actually the wrong arena altogether. That's the American dream arena. And to know Jesus Christ means you've been ripped out of that arena. It's not keeping up with the Joneses anymore, or obtaining power and money for the heck of it. But for those of us in Christ this morning, the measure of our lives isn't that stuff anymore. The measure of our lives now is our willingness to use our God-given gifts to benefit the whole body of Christ, to not hold back. That's the arena you're in now. The mission of God, the glory of God, the redemption of the world through his church. The point is, God has saved you into a family, not just out of trouble. God didn't save you to send you to a spiritual island. He saved you to be part of a spiritual family. His salvation this morning isn't just about personal redemption and forgiveness. It's about the restoration of his kingdom on all the face of this earth through his people, the church. The true gospel creates a community, a community like this one. Often people say this church is known for its community. It's because the true gospel is preached. The right gospel, the true gospel, preached by the Spirit of God creates a community of grace where imperfectly we love one another, where we attempt to know each other, where we bear each other's burdens, where we serve together and together seek to impact the world for his name. So that's the first point. The passage continues, and we really see our second point this morning. Use your gifts faithfully. Use your gifts faithfully faithfully. Verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So as members of the body of Christ, God has given us each different spiritual capacities. Some of us are are rock quarries, some of us are forest, or to use the biblical picture, some of us are feet, some of us are hands, some of us are mouths. We each have different gifts. In coming to know God for real, his spirit comes into our life and he gives us different gifts. And the result is each of us has a slightly different shape and slightly different flavor than our neighbor. Now there's a great parallel to this idea in C.S. Lewis's book, now, movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You see, uh, this is also, the, as I mentioned, in the movie. Uh, the movie scene is particularly uh, uh, powerful, but Lucy, Susan, and, and Peter enter Narnia. And it's symbolic of their conversion, their new life. They're now in Narnia. And soon thereafter, coming on a, on a sled isn't the White Witch, but it's who? Father Christmas. And Father Christmas comes with a, with a big smile. He comes with joy, and he gives them gifts. He gives them gifts. Lucy gets the, the juice of the, of the fire flower. One drop will cure any injury. Susan gets the bow that never misses and the, and the horn. Peter gets the sword. He gets the shield. And, and Edmund, he's not there, but perhaps most powerfully, he gets the greatest gift of them all. He gets a very, very, very real, deep encounter with God's grace. That changes him forever. The point is, is that Father Christmas comes and he gives gifts, and each of the gifts is connected to a specific role or a specific purpose in the unfolding events of the story. And it's the same for us. When we meet Jesus, he gives us new life. His Spirit comes into our lives with joy, and he gives us gifts that are connected to a very specific role or a purpose in the unfolding events of of his work in the world. Now, it's been pointed out a lot, but spiritual gifts are different than natural talents. Spiritual gifts are different than natural talents. A natural talent is essentially something that everybody has. Believer, non-believer, natural talents are essentially God's way of beautifying the world, enriching the world. People can sing, people can bat, people can run, they can, they can speak well, they're, they're socially gifted, they can read people. God makes the world beautiful through talents, big and small. Where would we be without Albert Einstein, or Taylor Swift, or Beethoven this morning? God enriches the world through talents. But spiritual gifts are something completely different altogether. It's something that God gives to believers, to his church. And spiritual gifts are God's way of bringing people under the power and the presence and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every spiritual gift is designed to do that, to ultimately bring someone to experience the power, the healing, the goodness of Jesus Christ. The biblical word for this is this word edify. Edify. It's an important word, it's an important word. To edify means essentially to build someone up, to build them literally into the house of God. It means to build them up in Jesus. It's a word that's almost always connected to spiritual gifts. So with talents, God's beautifying the world, but with spiritual gifts, God is redeeming the world. He's healing the world with all of its sin, with all of its brokenness, with all of its confusion. By the power of the Spirit, God is working through his church through the spiritual gifts to make all things new, big and small. Now, as an aside, just, just as a little bit of an aside here this morning, can God use natural talents to bring people under the authority, the goodness, the presence of Jesus Christ? Can he use poetry? Can he use, can he use music? Can he use creativity of a person to edify someone else spiritually? Can he use talents similar to how he uses spiritual gifts? Yes, the answer is yes. But the basis is never the talent itself. The basis is his grace, his choice to empower it, his strength through it, his presence in it. Think Charles Spurgeon, famous British preacher, incredible speaker, and God uses him powerfully. D.L. Moody, American preacher, not that great of a speaker, but God uses him powerfully. How? Because the basis of it is God's grace, not the talent, the sovereignty of God's spirit. He can use talents for his glory. So talents, spiritual gifts, mostly different, but, but some overlap. Now, before we dive into these verses, let me just acknowledge there's, uh, there's just a little bit of a variety in the body of Christ at large on their thoughts about spiritual gifts. Some of you grew up in churches where spiritual gifts were talked about a lot, literally all the time, and perhaps others of you, they were never mentioned at all, or barely mentioned. One of the things I love about this church is we have people from all sorts of backgrounds. We have people from Presbyterian backgrounds, we have people from non-denominational backgrounds, we have people from Catholic backgrounds, we have people from Baptist backgrounds, we have people from Pentecostal backgrounds. So there's a great diversity of backgrounds here. And so there's a a great range of sensitivities on this topic, so I'm gonna try to do my best on saying what the text itself says here in the short time that I have left. So notice first, verse six. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So the point so far is as members of the body of Christ, God has given us each different spiritual capacities. We each have different gifts and are coming to know God for real. His Spirit comes into our life and He gives us different gifts. And as a result, our faith is slightly different in its scope, in its flavor, in its shape than our neighbor. But now we're told something very clear here. Use your gifts. Use them. Use your spiritual gifts. Yes, it is important to know the time and place to use spiritual gifts. Paul talks about orderly worship services. Yes, it's it's important to not abuse the spiritual gifts, to make them about ourselves. But none of these cautions ever is an excuse to not use the gifts at all, or to shun the gifts. In the church, whether gathered or scattered, God has given us some amount of power, some authority to restrict or to release what the Spirit of God does through us. To restrict what the Spirit does is a a biblical phrase called quenching the Spirit. It means to shut down or to limit the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. To limit or shut down the genuine work of the the Holy Spirit. Now that can happen in a whole lot of ways, but the thrust here in verse 6 is to use your gifts. Let us use them. Now what are the gifts? What are the gifts? Well, this passage lists a couple. It's not all of them. There's a whole lot more. But here is a sampling of the gifts. There's really two categories that we see here. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. I'll talk most on the gift of prophecy because that's what everyone wants to hear, and then I'll summarize the other gifts. Verse 6. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So each of these gifts, if God's empowering it, if his strength is in it, if his presence is is in it, then God is up to something in the world through the gifts. He's using it for his mission in the world, to redeem and to heal. Now notice this first gift listed here, prophecy, prophecy. This shows up in the Bible a lot, and it has a lot of different meanings. It can mean when a a real prophet predicts the future. You might say like the prophecies about Christ, right? It can refer to a prediction. Other times it refers to proclaiming the scriptures, preaching the gospel. But other times it refers to when the Spirit of God brings some type of word or encouragement or warning to someone directly for someone else. That's what's being talked about here. That's the spiritual gift. Now, if you have this gift, what that feels like is that you just have a sense that God is wanting you to communicate something to someone, to encourage them with some promise, with some truth, to give them some type of warning. You don't know where it came from, but it's strong. Now, that doesn't mean that, that it's a new revelation equal to the Bible. That doesn't mean that you're moving from Scripture to experience. All that it means is what it's saying is that God has put something... In your heart, you could be wrong, they could be wrong, but he's put something in your heart to tell someone else. Now, we see a really good example of this in the book of Acts. We see a really good example of this, as well as the complications of it. There's this guy named Agabus, and Agabus meets the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is headed back to Jerusalem. He knows he has to go. The Lord has called him to Jerusalem. But Agabus gets a a real prophecy and what he does is he takes some, some rope and he ties it around his, his wrist and he says, Paul, this, this is what the Spirit says. The owner of this belt, if, if you go, the owner of this belt, which is him, if you go, you're going to get imprisoned and you may die. And so everybody's like, Paul, see, don't go. Don't go. Don't go. Don't go. And Paul's like, yeah, I, I trust the prophecy. The, the prophecy is right, but you're not interpreting it right. Your conclusion is false. Danger, death, yes, but the Lord Jesus told me to go. He told me to go and eventually he does go. And eventually he does lose his life for the Lord. It's a great picture of this gift in action, isn't it? And also the complications of it, needing to know God's word, but also needing to know how it interacts with the spirit of life. The passage also goes on and lists some other gifts. Serving, teaching, exhorting, contributing, that is giving, leading, acts of mercy, that is taking steps to relieve people of distress, all gifts of the Spirit, all things that God wants to use to bring people under the power and the lordship of Jesus Christ, all things that God wants to use to heal and to redeem people in this life. Now, what all this means this morning, what all this means this morning is that if you find yourself In Jesus Christ, God has invited you to use spiritual gifts into the ongoing work to participate in the ongoing work of Jesus Christ. Let me just say that again. What all this means this morning is that if you find yourself in Christ, God has invited you through the use of spiritual gifts into the ongoing work of Jesus Christ in the world. It's a mouthful, but it's true. We see this all over the Bible, don't we? For instance, let me just give one example. In Ephesians 2, Paul's writing there to the churches there in in Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. And he says to them, Christ came and preached to you, and that's why you know him. Christ came and preached to you, and that's why you know him. Now, the problem with that is that Jesus never went to Asia Minor. Jesus never went to modern-day Turkey. So how in the world, what is Paul saying? How in the world could they say Christ came to them? How could he say Christ came to you and preached to you? And that's why you believed. Well, what, what, what he means when he says that is that a Christian came and preached to you. He says a Christian came and preached to you. And when that happened, Christ came and preached to you. By the, by the power of the Spirit, Christ himself came and preached to you. What he's saying is that through the use of God's gifts, when we use his gifts, we join the ongoing work of Jesus in this world. Which means when we're actually operating in God's spirit together, serving together, going together, in a real sense, Jesus Christ is preaching to Washington, D.C. Jesus Christ is working with the poor. He counsels the stressed. He is healing relationships. He does mercy and service. He's exhorting the timid. He's doing all of that right here in Washington, D.C. How? How is he doing that? Well, because we're here. Because we're operating in the power of his spirit. Now, before we close, I just want to look at my, my third point, which is very short, and ask ourselves, how can we discover our gifts? Some of you may be asking, I'm a Christian. I really don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what my role is. How do I figure out? Well, I have four ideas. Four very brief ideas before we close, probably in order of usefulness. Number one, take a spiritual gifts test. Now, this is not always the most reliable thing, but at least it, it lets you start seeing a little bit more about maybe how you're wired and how God is recreating you. So number one, take a spiritual gift test. Two, ask a Christian friend around you who knows you, What do you think my my spiritual gifts are? What do you think my spiritual gifts are? This may be a good question to direct to someone who's a a fellow believer who knows you well and could possibly give you an idea about where God could use you or where God is using you. Number three, serve and find out. Serve and find out. I didn't know I wanted to do ministry. I was a business major that switched to a communication major until i went and taught at a summer camp i was a substitute christian camp counselor for a week and i opened the gospel of matthew and started teaching it and realized i really like doing this i feel like god is using me in that so serve get your feet wet try different things and see where you see the lord making a difference through you and then number four Lastly, another idea is consider affinity, ability, and affirmation. Affil- uh, affinity, ability, and affirmation. Affinity has to do si- simply with what you're passionate about. What kind of ministry do you like doing? Ability has to do with fruitfulness. When you've operated in that particular role, do you see God blessing it in some way? It might not be numbers, might be other factors in there, but do you see fruitfulness? So ability... And third, affirmation. Affirmation that has to do with with other people seeing God blessing you particularly in that role. Other people seeing and giving affirmation to all that God is doing through you in that role. So these are all good ways to think about a little bit more what might be my role. What might be the thing that God has called me to do as a member of his body. He's invited us this morning to participate in his work of redemption in the world as the church to make a difference by the power of his spirit in the world let's not miss that promise thank you for listening to this episode of king's church dc podcast if this sermon encouraged you please like rate and subscribe to our podcast for more information on our church and service times please visit kingschurchdc.com We hope you will join us again next week.